How many people do you know who would be laying on the couch with a headache and still record a podcast? I'm guessing not many, but I'm one of those people right now. What's going on? (laughs) Soup's on hockey. I'm Tyler Campbell. What's up? Got a pretty bad headache right now. Laying on the couch. It's about 7.15 on Tuesday night. I should be watching the Jays game, but Jose Barrios was getting knocked around pretty good. I couldn't bear to watch. So instead, I'm watching an old thir- watching old 30 for 30s. This one's one of the weaker ones, yet I'm watching it. It's when the series stopped. 1989 World Series, California Earthquake. It's not that much about sports. Not, uh, not a super big fan of the ones that weren't much about sports. Remember the first season of 30 for 30 and the... I can't remember what it was called, but the Mike Tyson one. That was as much... Well, really wasn't about Mike Tyson... I can't remember who he fought. Razor Reddick, maybe? I can't recall who he fought, but the night the Tupac was shot. That one was just terrible. Just terrible. This one... I mean, this one's good... I would have liked this series for some reason fascinates me a little bit because I've heard Al Michaels talk about it before because Al Michaels called this World Series. I've heard him say before he thought this series was going to be a classic. Like he thought without a doubt this is going to be a six or seven game war between these two teams. Historically, I don't get that at all. I look at that San Francisco Giants team in 89 and I think, how the hell was this a World Series team? And <laughs> and uh, that A's team, I mean, how there hasn't been either a 30 for 30 or an HBO doc, something along the lines, something major done on those late 80s, early 90s Oakland A's teams. I don't get it. Like, I, even though I didn't, you know, I was alive, but even though I didn't live the 86 Mets, I had always heard about how great the 86 Mets were and how that team should have been a dynasty. Well, when I first started to watch baseball was right when the Oakland A's were dominant. And Jose Canseco was considered the best player in the world. And we all know the backstory to why he was the best player in the world for a short period of time. Mark McGuire, Dennis Eckersley, Tony La Russa, like Dave Stewart. Like they, how there hasn't been a, well, Ricky Henderson, of course, how am I forgetting Ricky? How there hasn't been a major documentary done on that team I do not know. Doesn't make any sense. And that team should have won three straight World Series. And they won one. And when they lost, they lost in dramatic fashion. 88, the Kurt Gibson home run. 
1990, they were like maybe the biggest, and I don't know this for sure, but they had to have been one of the biggest World Series favorites to lose. And they didn't just lose, they got swept. I think two of the four games they got blown out. And it was amazing because in those three years, they only lost one game in the ALCS. They were 12-1. and one. Lost to the Jays. Anyway. Um, yeah, I've talked about this with some of my buddies before. I badly want at least a two-part, you know, I don't know, hour-and-a-half-long doc. By the way, if you're hearing noise in the background, my poor pup had his eyes pinned last week. Can't remember if I've said that on the podcast. And he's got his cone on. And so he kind of operates as if, you know, the cone doesn't matter, which means he's banging the cone into everything. He'll also cry to go in and out. In fact, I'm going to let him out right now. Oh, my head hurts so bad. And yet I'm recording a podcast. You can go up, but he'll want back in in two seconds. Um, but yeah, this isn't going to be my best podcast, but some uh, some hockey stuff to get to. Little bit of Oilers news. Guess guess I'll save that. It's t- it's tough. I want to talk a little bit more about the Kachuk thing, and I want to talk about the Oilers news that came down today. I guess I guess I'll start with the Oilers news, and yes, I pull the RV. I'm pretty shocked they got it done. I'm shocked it's done now. I, I'm not shocked it's done. I'm shocked it's done. I thought it would be last minute. Thought it would go right up until maybe the day before arbitration. Three mil is high, uh, but I think it's a, it's a happy medium. I think Pulley was going to get more than three mil in ARB. And I think the Oilers said, let's not risk anything more than that. Let's just get him for three mil now. Still a chance they trade him. This is not a done deal with Pulley Arvey. There is still a chance they trade him. Wouldn't wouldn't stun me. The odds-on favorite for the Oilers to be dealt is Warren Fogle. You look at the depth chart, even with moving Zach Hyman to the right wing, I know you can send down Dylan Holloway to start the season. It wouldn't be the most far-fetched thing. But you look at the cap situation, just everything added up. Because they need to be... What's the official number? Uh, 4.16 plus 2.2, so 6.36. They need to be that exact amount over the cap. Like anything less than that, they'll have less cap space to work with once they put Clefbaum and Smith on LTIR. So you want to be ex- as close to 6.36 over the cap as you can. Uh, Fogel, 
you know, what do they got? 2.67 right now in cap space. If you consider Smith and Clefbaum on LTIR. So they're 6.67 away from being 6.36 over the cap, I guess is the way to put it. Yamamoto is going to eat up all of that money. And they still got McLeod and they still got Benson. Benson, at some point, will probably accept his qualifying offer. I'm honestly, off the top of my head, I'm not sure what that is. It wouldn't be over a million dollars. I would guess it's something on the lines of 900000 McLeod, I think Stoffer, I think some people have guessed 1.25 for the one year. Man, though, that sucks because he's a guy you'd like to lock down. You'd really like to lock that guy down and give him a, I mean, if it were me, I'd I'd love to give him a five-year deal because I think it's going to be value in one to two years. But the other situation with the cap right now, you can't do that. So, guessing on Yamamoto, it'll be between, my guess is between 2.75 and 3. So, I've seen, because, and and if it's me, like, I would say Yamamoto should get more money than Pugliarvi, but I've seen stuff, and I'll, I'll, I'll totally... Like, go to Stoff on this one. He says that Yamamoto's ARB case is going to be a little bit less than Pugliarvi's. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, but between 2.75 mil and 3. And then McLeod's getting another million. So someone has to go. But you want to be as close to that that number as you can be on opening night now one thing you can do on opening night you can you can make the dollars work like tyler benson that's not really going to matter tyler benson this time last year tyler benson you had to keep him up because he wasn't going to clear waivers this going into going into opening night this year tyler benson he would clear so his his cap number is not a real big concern you know, to make it work, you could have only, what, 21, 20, I guess you could even go with just 20 guys on the opening night roster to make it to make it work the way you want it to work. So you, you probably don't need to really factor in Tyler Benson to this. It's just McLeod and just Yamamoto. Um... As far as I know, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but let's just let's just assume that's the case. We'll say two point seven five plus one point two five. That's four million for Yamamoto McLeod. If you get Fogel's number off the books at two point seven five, you're about. You're about there. Factor in, Holloway is going to be nine hundred twenty-five thousand. I wish I had a calculator with me. 
so I could make sure the math is right. But just doing the rough math in my head, they should be good with just Fogel going out the door. He's the odd man out anyway. Because you look at, again, you look at the depth chart, even if you don't have Holloway factored in, you've got, you know, it depends on where they're going to put McLeod. And it depends on where they're going to put Nuge. But one of Nuge or McLeod is on the left side. Kane's on the left side. Technically, Hyman's a left winger. And Holloway. And then you got to factor in Yanmark, too. It's a lot of guys playing the left side. Fogel's the odd man out. Now, Hyman, you can flip to the right side for sure. But why Holloway is ready to play... And slots perfectly on that third line. What What's the point of having Fogel as long as you can move him? Now, maybe you can't move him. Maybe they are in a situation where they are literally stuck having to move out Pulley RV because of the number. That's possible. That is very possible. Because what I, th- like, you know, like uh, several people have said, there's a lot less cap dollars out there than anyone thought. Like, we all thought Tyson Berry was movable. And maybe Tyson Berry still is movable. You can, you can make cases. Montreal, Montreal has a need for Tyson Berry, sure. But Montreal's rebuilding. Why, why would Montreal want two years of Tyson Berry if they're rebuilding? Why wouldn't you want that spot open for one of your kids? Why would you want to make yourself any better than you have to be with you know, the draft, the top three or four in this draft being the top three or four in this draft? Like you've got Bedard, Mitchkov, Ventilli, Benson. Like the top four in this draft is looking strong. And I know I haven't got into the Benson talk, but apparently was phenomenal at the Holinka Gretzky camp. And looks even better than Fantilli, according to some. And I love Fantilli. So this is not a draft where if you're rebuilding, you want to make yourself better. Being assured of a top four pick in this draft, pretty vital. This isn't like the 2022 draft where a top four pick, it's like, well, I guess. No, this is this is important to get that pick. So, you know, John Klingberg still hasn't signed. Where's John Klingberg going to sign? Well, if you had to guess right at the moment, you think Seattle. Seattle looks like the most obvious spot, which looked like a landing spot for Tyson Berry before the offseason began. So then where's the spot for Tyson Berry? And all of a sudden you look around and it's like, hmm, there really isn't one. So his money is the most ridiculous money on the books for you know what you need. But the other thing with Tyson Berry now is there's not a suitable replacement in that in that spot 
on that right side of the D. Like going into the offseason, it was, hey, dump Tyson Berry and sign Colin Miller if you can. Dump Tyson Berry and sign Matt Benning if you can. Sign Michael Stone. Sign just a solid, dependable, right-shot defenseman. Veteran guy to pair with one of two kids that's going to win that left-side spot. I guess they could still do that with Slater Cuckoo. Man, though, like the the stock has fallen through the floor on Slater Cuckoo. So it's Fogel or Pugliarvi, but again, I just looking at the depth chart, you got to think it's Fogel. I do wonder if they go and get a guy to come back, if they just buy down on him. And again, I haven't completely crunched the numbers yet. Uh, I wonder, Philly, Zach McEwen, if that makes sense. I don't know if it would just be Zach McEwen or if they could sneak a... Philly has the Oilers' fourth-round pick in 2023. Maybe that makes sense. McEwen and the Oilers' fourth coming back. I know that doesn't make a lot of fans... You know, that's... I mean, shit, that's shitty value. I I hated the bear for Fogel move when they did it, even though it worked out better. It's not like they got a prime asset more than Fogel. And now it's pennies on on the dollar for what they had in Ethan Bear, even though Ethan Bear had a shit season. Oh, man, everything's blowing up in Oakland on this dock. See, again, like, don't get me wrong, it's a great story, but I just, I don't like the 30 for 30s that, you know, here's the Cypress Freeway and how it collapsed in Oakland. Like, okay, and like, I I get it, this tragedy, I'm not trying to shit on the tragedy or anything, and I get that this tragedy happened during Game 3 of the World Series, one of the biggest earthquakes in California history. Like, I get that. But it's really not much of a sports story. It's an event that happened while a major sporting, you know, like (laughs) game five of the NBA finals in 1994 wasn't the vital story on that day. It just happened to be on that day. Nobody's doing a documentary about game five of the NBA finals in 1994. For those of you who don't know that, I'm sure there's very few of you. That was the day the OJ chase happened. Oh, here comes my lamp up the stairs, wanting in. Got the lamp shade stuck on the stair. He's going to want in now as he sits at the door. Come on, bud. He is absolutely miserable with this thing on. Has a smile on his face, though. But I just don't blame him. Come here, bud. Hey, right here. Yep, have some of your stick. There you go. I literally, because he's got this cone on, I literally have to give him any, like, any bones to chew on, bully sticks, for those of you who don't, uh, or who maybe do have dogs. I I have to hold it for him, because he can't get it with his paws. Yeah, you're, I feel bad for you, buddy. Gotta go back to the vet tomorrow. One of his stitches popped out, so and it's bugging his eye even more. Ay, ay, ay. Hasn't been fun. Hasn't been fun. Anyway, 
Um, so yeah, so watch for Warren Fogel trade. Watch for Northern's trade in the next few days. Something's there's a shoe that's got to drop here, without a doubt. There is a shoe that has to drop. Maybe more than one, but my guess is just one. Um, and then you go to the Matt Kachuk trade. Now, I know I already did a podcast on this. But as you may have heard if you listened to that podcast, my, uh, my opinions were all over the place. Because I hadn't really given things time to fully digest, so, so to speak. Now I have. The final verdict for me on that trade, there's a chance that it's a lose-lose. And I think everybody right now is looking at it as win-win. And, you know, I know that I'm the guy that is often looking for the contrarian or to be contrarian. I don't mean to be. I just... And especially in this case, I don't mean to be. But, I mean, for Calgary, it is 100% dependent on what's going to happen with Hubert Owen Uyghur. 100%. Normally, with trades, I'll make the point of saying, look, we have to wait to see who wins trades, but you don't really have to. You can, you can tell in the moment just from a value standpoint, sure, that win might change over time. But in the moment, you can see who won or lost. Adam Larson, Taylor Hall. In hindsight, the Oilers didn't get beat near as bad as it seemed like they were going to. Over the course of the entire trade, over the course of their contracts, you know, everybody points to 2018. You take 2018 out, though, and the Oilers did pretty well. But the fact of the matter is they didn't and they lost the trade. <laughs> like there's some will make the argument though. Some the one that drives me nuts that people love to make the argument on, ah, oh, the one thing you gotta give credit to Shirelli for that dry contract. No, no. No, just because it ended up being not as bad as what people and and you know that it's funny because that kind of leads me to where I'm going to go with Brad Trey living here in a bit or at least Flames management. That mindset of ah, see Shirelli, look he did he did the dry sidle deal. That's not near. Don't confuse not near as bad as what you were anticipating with good. Okay, let's not confuse the two. Leon Dreisaitl should have been at least $1 million a year per, less than what they signed him for. The Oilers just caved. Just flat out caved. Leon Dreisaitl fell into that same bracket at that time that Nathan McKinnon was in, Sean Monaghan was in, Mark Shifley was in, Johnny Goudreau was in. There were so many players that fell into that mid-6 million a year range. 
giving Dreisaitl seven and a half at that time was a bit of an overpay. But you could also make the argument that he was better than all those players at that time. So seven and a half was a fair number that probably the Oilers get him at if they just let it ride out until training camp. They didn't, though. And oddly, it was like August 20th, they sign him to this deal. Has it gone as bad as what it could have for the Oilers? No. Was it this grand slam of a win for Pete Shirelli? No. You let it play out. How do you not at least let it play out? If you got a cave on the eve of camp, I get that. But let it play out. But let's look at let's look at Florida first. Florida overpaid here. The Flames weren't doing any better than Huberto. Huberto alone. That's a guy who got serious consideration for the heart this year. You're not doing better than that. St. Louis reportedly was offering Tarasenko. Not surprised. St. Louis reportedly was offering less than I suggested they would. And my suggestion was Tarasenko, neighbors in a first, maybe Calgary could squeeze a Zach Balduke out of them. And everybody would say, yeah, they got to get Cairo. And I'm the one guy sitting there saying, they're not getting Jordan Cairo, guys. It's like, the, the Brooklyn Nets and everybody saying that the Raptors are going to uh, offer Scotty Barnes. No, no, they're not going to do that. That's a vital future piece for that organization. I don't know who is more important. Like right now, who has more value to the St. Louis Blues than Jordan Cairo? Like maybe, arguably, Robert Thomas. That's it. That's the list. So if you're getting Jordan Cairo, first of all, that would have been incredible. Second of all, you're not getting anything more than that. It's Jordan Cairo. That's what you're getting. That would have been it. Maybe a salary back. Like maybe Tarasenko back to make the dollars work. But that's it. So Huberto on his own is likely the best offer that Calgary was getting already. And then Zito also adds in Mackenzie Weger, who, and again, I said this on Friday, and I do believe it, from Zito's point of view, he said, I'm going to have to give away this guy anyway to make my cap work this season. Why not just throw him into this trade? I do get that. But there's a real danger, in my opinion, of doing this type of deal. We do, for all my fantasy drafts, we do auctions. And I think once when I was pretty hammered, I jokingly had, well, I had like, I don't know, it was 
our cap is $250. So I had like $4 left on my cap or $5 left on my cap. And I had one guy to buy. And so I jokingly bought him for an extreme price. And, you know, we had a good laugh about it. And I had another whiskey and fun times all around. Fun times had by all. Um... Any other time we do an auction, though, and I'm sober, that's stupid. Because that immediately kills the future value of that guy. Because it's also, it's not just an auction, we also do keepers. And so, like, for example, for our football draft that's coming up, it's 22 players, 12 keepers every year. Get 12 keepers. That's not including the rookies that we have. So and, and the rookies, it's the previous year's drafts don't count. Previous year's draft doesn't count. And the rookies from this year's rookie draft, neither of them count. So we do five rounds, six rounds every year. It's changed to six rounds for basically because we like doing the rookie draft. Because um, <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense other than that. Um Come on, have your bully stick. He stopped eating as well. Oh, there he goes. Um, yeah, so exciting podcast, by the way, right? Just a guy with a migraine. Ah, it's not really a migraine. It's just a standard headache. But anyway, it's stupid to bid all your money on that because it kills the guy's value. Then all of a sudden, he's got no chance of being a keeper for the next season. He's got no chance of any, for anybody else to want to keep him for the next season. Like, it's, it's stupid management. But while I did it once when I was hammered, a lot of guys do that in our draft. Well, I just got all that cap space left. Might as well use it. And that's kind of how Bill Zito treated this trade is, well, I got these assets, so I might as well trade them. Yeah, no. No. You don't know when someone might have come knocking on your door. What happens if an Eric Johnson situation happens to a defenseman this summer? And all of a sudden, the need for Mackenzie Weger suddenly becomes major for a team. Don't completely piss away the asset until you know you have to, until you have no other choice. Bud, that's not the right. That's not the way. He forgets that he's got a cone on his head sometimes. Um. So that's dangerous. And then I, I said to a few people, I'm stunned that Zito didn't at least make that first conditional. And the condition, he did make it conditional. He, he top ten protected it. As my dog bites me. Bite your bone, not your owner. There you go. Anyway. Holy fuck. <laughs> okay. Go get it. He's, he got a little unruly with the bully stick. He might be drunk. Well, don't bring it over here for me to hold for you again. Me throwing it was an indication that I'm not doing that for you anymore. 
Don't you know this? God, you're three months old now. Shouldn't you know these things and English by now? Anyway. I'm stunned that it wasn't a condition of top 10 protected plus you have to, it's on the condition that Hubert O signs. Thinking of one debate that I had about that. <laughs> I won't repeat on here, but it drove me nuts. Uh, <laughs> like if I'm Bill Zito, I would have said, yeah, we'll give you that first round pick. But here's the thing. I'm only giving you that first round pick if you don't sign Huberto. Because if you sign Huberto... You're already killing me on this trade. You're getting a way better deal than you're going to get from anyone else if you get a re-signed Jonathan Huberto. So I'm not giving you that first for nothing. And if Tree then says, okay, well, then we're not doing a deal, figure something else out or maybe a cave on it. I don't know. But I know when I'm adding everything up here and it's Huberto and it's Uyghur and it's a first, it's like, whoa, this is way better than Trey Living's going to get from anyone. And you add in the prospect. Now, there's no doubt when it comes to the prospect, whose name I'm blanking on yet again, Cole, is it Schwint? Yes. And I looked into Cole Schwint some more, and it must be a case of the Flames just like him because nothing about him right at the moment screams NHL player. Pete tweeted out, Pete Lubardius that is, tweeted out on Friday night that he's got a chance to play. He might. Pete would know a lot better than I do. He might. Nothing about him that I can find says that he's about to play. But it's still, if you're adding him in the deal, I can't imagine it would be to get a contract off the books because you've got two contracts off your books already. For one. Like, I don't think the Florida Panthers, could be wrong on this, but I don't think the Florida Panthers were over 50 contracts. Pretty sure you can't do that. Again, though, it's the off-season. Some of the off-season rules I'm not as up on. But, like, this is just way bigger, from a Florida point of view, this is just a way bigger offer than... I'm getting bit again. It's a way bigger offer than the Flames were getting from anyone else. So I'm not sure why you're doing that. It's tough keeping a dog entertained. He's in the humping stage, so I just threw a pillow that is uh, past its best before date on the floor for him to hump. But he has no interest in humping it right now. He just wants to attack me. He's probably going to bark at me pretty soon here. Oh, right on cue. I get it 
from the Panthers' point of view, I, or the Bills' Zito point of view, I do get it. And I'm not, you know, in the long run, I think this trade, the Panthers will come out the winner in the long run on this trade. But in the short term, they paid way too much. And it's not like Matt Kachuk's not worth what they paid, but you don't pay what the guy is worth. You pay what your competition, you outdo what your competition will offer. You know, I've used this analogy so many times before, but you don't walk into a car dealership and say, I'm willing to give you 70000 for this vehicle. Well, sir, good news. It's only worth 55000 Yeah, but I've got 70000 to spend on it. So I'm going to give you 70000 No, no, you saved the fifteen grand. You try to negotiate lower than their 55000 that they've got it offered for. There's the works. Yep. See, I'm not playing, so that's when he starts to bark. That's when he starts to bite things that he shouldn't. Yep. The one thing that saves me in this situation is the cone. But the problem is, if I do anything, he seems to not be affected by anything like a smack on the ass if I give him one. I, people won't believe me if they don't see it. But if I smacked him on the ass right now, he would think we're playing. If I smacked him on the ass as hard as I could right now, he would get excited. <laughs> Hope that doesn't come off wrong. <laughs> and think we're playing. Don't tell me my dog's not a killer, though, with that bark. Like, what a killer. Just restless. The poor guy does, like, having to have this cone on him is hell. I don't blame him. He's only three months old and he's got a cone on. That he's got to have on for another, like, ten days. It's not fun. And if his eyes got to, because those stitches popped out, if he's got to do the thing over again, then I worry that this is going to be even longer. Where was I? Yeah, so I'm just not sure why Bill Zito decided to pay $1.50 on the dollar here. And I like the move. I still like the move for the Panthers with Huberto going out and Kachuk coming. I, I do understand what they're doing there. And I do stand by what I said, that Bill Zito extended his team's window. But he paid more than he probably had to. Now, for the Flames, again, as I was getting into with Dreisaitl and all that that stuff, man, he's wound up. Not sure how that's coming through on the uh, microphone, but he is wound right up. It all depends on Huberto. A little bit on Uyghur. Mostly on Huberto. If I had to guess, Jonathan Huberto ain't signed in Calgary. Like, I don't understand. Like, this guy grew up in Quebec, has played his entire NHL career for the Florida Panthers. 
was drafted by the Panthers. If you're him and you're one year away from free agency, and that just, you know, I I would guess Huberto very much so assumed he was a lifer with the Panthers. So now if you're him, why why settle for Calgary? And Calgary is a fucking awesome city, as I have said before. An awesome city. The last thing I'm looking to do is shit on Calgary. I would love to live in Calgary. And it's not a knock on the city itself. It might be a knock on the arena. might be a knock on the organization. It's not a knock on the city. I've never once heard anyone say Calgary's anything other than an amazing city. It's probably coming through pretty good on the microphone. As he drags his toy across the floor. (laughs) Cones smacking everywhere. Toy smacking everywhere. I hope he at least sleeps tonight. He hasn't been sleeping too well. But if you're Jonathan Huberto, why not just let it play out? Now, maybe if you're Jonathan Huberto, you fall in love with the city and you love the organization, you love playing for Daryl Sutter. By the way, that's an underrated reason as to why guys might want out that's not being talked about. We know this. Players hated have hated playing for Sutter. Not every player, but probably the majority. We're not talking about that enough as Jose Canseco fills his car up with gas in his uniform the night he's driving home from the World Series. Game three. Anyway, if you haven't seen the documentary, I guess watch the documentary. It's on Disney+. Plus. There's a few 30 for 30s on Disney+. Plus. Score. Um... Yeah, maybe it happens with Huberto. I just can't see it. If all Huberto is after is money, I would guess the Flames would do that. Eric Francis had this definitive statement in his headline, in his article after the Flames, after this trade. And it was something to the effect of, don't you think they're rebuilding like it's this win? No, that's a loss. This was an opportunity for the Flames to rebuild without backlash. Because what normally happens to make NHL teams rebuild, because we all know they hate rebuilding, they're terrified to rebuild, What what usually happens is one of two things. Either the clock simply runs out on them and they have no other choice. That's usually what happened. Like, that's what happened with Montreal. Montreal didn't rebuild by choice. Montreal let Mark Bergevin put them in a situation where they had no choice. What, bud? You're fine. 
Now he's crying. Yeah, you're fine, bud. You cry for a lot of reasons. Very few of them are good. Yeah. This time he was crying to want to bite me. Oh, I wish I could get through a thought without him doing stuff. But yeah, so that's usually the way that teams rebuild. Or else they'll do it at a, at a time when fans aren't expecting it. And it makes them livid. This is the rare opportunity for the Montreal, or for the Calgary Flames, or it was going to be their rare opportunity for the Flames, to rebuild when most fans would have said, yeah, I kind of get that. You know, these two stars wanted out without them and with the return, you know, no return on one, minimized return on the other, this is probably a good time to just blow it up and start from scratch. It's the Connor Bedard draft. It's a flat cap world. It just makes a ton of sense. Nope. And again, I don't know if it's Trey Living or ownership. I really think it's ownership in Calgary. They just refuse to do it. They just refuse to do it. I had to swat him on the nose right now, and now he's going to sneeze. <laughs> he's not happy with me, but he was biting my jeans and bit me on the calf, and yeah. Sometimes you just got to let him know. For anyone out there thinking that, I, I don't beat my dog. I hate having even to yell or discipline my dog in any way, but that time he kind of deserved a swat on the nose. <laughs> Still happy as hell, just so you know. And he's not touching me. He's playing with his rope. So, <laughs> But yeah, perfect chance. Perfect chance for the Flames to rebuild. They didn't take advantage of it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's being picked up on the microphone too. It's distracting from my headache. That's the good thing. So they don't want to rebuild. One of two things is going to happen here. Neither of them are good for the Calgary Flames. Like, if you're a Flames fan, are you cool with not having a contender? And I know some would say, what do you mean not having a contender? They were a contender this year. No, they weren't. They were a fraud. Were they a legitimate playoff team? Yes, they were a legitimate playoff team. In my mind... In this guy's mind, were they anything of a threat to go deep in the playoffs? No. And for the record, I don't think the Oilers were a legitimate top four. Neither were the Rangers. I don't buy the Rangers making the final four. I don't buy the Oilers making the final four. The two divisions that are dominant in this league right now are the Atlantic and the Central. The Metro is fading fast. And we all know the Pacific sucks. The only team that would have looked real going into last season as a Pacific division or to come out of the Pacific and have a legitimate chance at winning the cup would have been Vegas, especially after the Eichel trade. 
Now, now that the Oilers have Jack Campbell, you assume Jack Campbell at least will be stable. And I do believe in Stuart Skinner. So their goaltending, while they're goaltending, they don't have a they don't have a game stealer. I think it's competent. Is Jack Campbell gonna be overpaid? Yes. But they have competent goaltending. They might be a contender this season. And I mean a legitimate contender. Might be. Calgary wasn't a legitimate contender. I just never bought them. I never thought their depth was as good as it. I think Sutter's system makes makes everyone's analytics look a lot better than they actually are. Like, do you actually think Eric Goodbranson is that good? Nikita Zadorov, Oliver Shillington, do we actually believe that strongly in these players? It's Sutter. I don't buy Jacob Markstrom. Every goaltender puts up big numbers playing for Daryl Sutter. No, they shouldn't, like the Oilers shouldn't get knocked for having McDavid and Dreisaitl. I shouldn't be knocking the Flames for having Daryl Sutter, so don't get me wrong. But you just try to look at everything. You try to look at everything fairly. Like if you take away things with Tampa Bay, you still have a great team. If you take away things with Colorado, you still have a great team. You take away Shesterkin from the Rangers, ooh, that's not a playoff team. You take away Sutter from the Flames, ooh, that's not a playoff team. You take away McDavid or Dreisaitl, ooh, that might not be a playoff team. Especially if you take away McDavid. Dreisaitl, yeah, you might still be a playoff team. You gotta look at things through that lens. Anyway, Huberto. One of two things is going to happen for the Flames here. Either he's going to walk, and all of a sudden you look at that trade and you go, that, that's not a good trade. And if Huberto and Uyghur walk, holy shit. That's a horrible trade for Calgary. Long term, all you got back is a first rounder in three years. And a C, maybe even a D prospect. And I've heard people say, well, worst case scenario, they'll flip him at the trade deadline. (laughs) Apparently, you don't see how Flames ownership operates. If they're anything close to the playoffs, they're not flipping Huberto or Uyghur. They'll load up again. Just you watch. They'll probably use that first round pick to trade for a rental. Would you put that past the Flames? I wouldn't. They're in second in the Pacific. Three back of Edmonton at the trade deadline with a game in hand. You don't think they'd trade that Florida first to land someone? Of course they would. And they bow out in six to Vegas. Hubert O'Weager walk. And then you're left with Cole Schwint. Congratulations. I don't want to go over an hour here, and I'm down to have done 51 minutes, almost 52 minutes. I have been a Brad Trey Trey Living supporter. Trey Liver sounds better, actually. Boston Pizza. 
built by Jim Trailiver. I, I every podcast I get on here and talk about, and I preference everything that's a knock on the flames with how much I love Trey Living because I do. But let's not confuse saving face for now with ha- with making a great trade. He saved face for now. We'll see if he made a great trade. And by the way, Trey Living's the one that got them into that mess in the first place by not blowing it up. And again, I do not believe that that was his call. Reading tea leaves, I have no inside knowledge on that. But from the outside looking in, it seemed like he wanted to do it two years ago and didn't. It doesn't matter who made that call. The point is, Flames management as a whole did not fix that problem before it came about. Let's not throw roses at the Flames' feet for a job well done when they let their franchise player, their franchise cornerstone, walk out the door for nothing and then lost their next franchise pillar for potentially a first and Cole Schwint. Like, they could have let it ride out with Matt Kachuk. They didn't have to trade Matt Kachuk right now. So if you're letting Kachuk walk at the end of next year, letting Huberto walk at the end of next year, how far ahead are you? Yay, you might be able to re-sign Mackenzie Wieger, okay? Like, good defenseman, I like him. But if the trade would have been... I don't know if the Blues would have gave. Oh, they were never giving Tory Krug. Let's say it was Tarasenko. Well, let's say it was the trade that I proposed with one other roster piece. So let's say it was Tarasenko, Scandella, Neighbors, or let's say a first, and let's just say, oh shit, who's an average. Blues prospect, Clem Costin, does he even still count? Something along those lines, though. If it's that, like, are we singing Brad Trey Living's praises then? Because that's not a whole hell of a lot far off what he got. And then another aspect still, let's say he does sign Jonathan Huberto. You know why the Panthers didn't want to... S- Sign Jonathan Huberto long term? It's because when he signs that extension the first year of the deal, he's 30. You are paying him 9 to $11 million a year for what will be his downfall. What will be his dissension? The Florida Panthers are trading Matt Kachuk for what he is and what he will be because he's just entered his prime. Jonathan Huberto has peaked. That Jonathan Huberto deal, if you get him signed, potentially an eight-year deal, that's not going to age. That might... Jonathan Huberto, I don't think Jonathan Huberto is going to age poorly, but he's still going to decline. It's a potential lose-lose. It really is. Even though 
If I'm a betting man, and I just laid this out, but if I'm a betting man, I'd say it's going to end up being a win-win. It's going to end up being a win for Flames management from the, from the people who think, well, we can't rebuild. In their minds, they've won already because they didn't rebuild. But I don't know. I don't think this has major potential to not age well for the Flames. And this has major potential. This will age better for the Panthers or more potential to age better for the Panthers. I'm just saying for them, they paid way more than they had to. Nobody else was topping that deal. This was the type of deal the Flames really, really wanted. Nobody was touching that. Huberto and Weger on their own. Probably would have been enough. But attach the first round pick. Okay, I get that. Make it conditional. Make it conditional on, on the grounds of Huberto re-signing. If Huberto re-signs, cool. You don't get our first. But it's just like B- Bill Zito, Barry Zito. Bill Zito was uh, hell-bent on paying this package. Doesn't seem like there was much negotiating on his part. Like, let's get together all our assets and just see if they'll take it. Went a little overboard. Anyway, closing in on an hour. My dog wants to come in. He's probably going to just be miserable for the next hour or so. I need to go get something for my headache, so I should get off my ass and do something. So I don't have anything for my headache. That's the worst part. Not in the house. Don't carry drugs in the house, kids. Don't do that shit. I'll get some drugs to have in the house. Thanks for listening. Soup's on hockey. All 50, nearly 58 minutes of it. I'm Tyler Campbell. I already thanked you for listening. So I guess all I got to say is we'll see you next time.